Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with a sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Happy November morning to you, PCC. Good to be with you. Good to be in light with you in electricity. Uh, thank you for those of you who came. I'll never forget last week in our gathering together last week. Um, you know this, I'm just gonna remind us, the Bible's a book about God, it's not a book about people. The main character of the scriptures is God. Uh, but it talks about the human condition straightforward. And today uh, may be one of the toughest uh, conditions of humanity we need to address. I'm gonna try and do it sensitively, uh, but I want us to all walk in humility as we walk through this text 
together. And what I believe every week as we open the Bible in community, that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to do a work of God. And I have full expectation he's going to do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Lord, we don't want to skip over the challenge of it. We want to see it uh, in its context where you are the main character and the hero. Give us grace today. Pray against the accusations of the enemy that would want to condemn. You've heard our prayers as a staff. We pray for freedom today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. The names are all too familiar to us. Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, Tiger Woods, Michael Jackson, Katie Hill. I can go on and on and on. These are just a short list of people who have been in positions of power There are pastors, there are sports stars, actors, politicians, corporate executives who engaged in sexual scandal. And if it was a long list, it would include our main character today, King David. As we come to this sixth week, David has it all. He's about 10 to 15 years into the monarchy, but he's at rest in his palace while he should be out at war fighting with his men. The kingdom is expanding for Israel. All is good. All is right on the outside. And one decision, one decision brings his world crashing down. Today's story is going to raise a tension. Spoiler alert. It's going to raise questions. If we're humble enough to ask them, how did David get here? Does this degree of evil lurk within each one of us? Can we ever run so far from God and commit such a heinous sin that God would never forgive us? In this outrage culture that we live in, what is the role of redemption in the church and outside of it? I want to be very clear. This is not a story about adultery. This is not a story of David and Bathsheba having an affair as if they had a consensual encounter together. This is a story of abuse. A story of a man using his power to coerce a sexual encounter from a woman. This, my friends, is sexual abuse. 100% of the time. We live in the United States where as of last week, the latest figure is that one in three women and one in six men have experienced some form of sexual violence in their lifetime. I want to pause and not run over that and say I'm so sorry. I'm so tired of the world that humanity in our sinful state has created. I'm so tired with being okay with it. So tired of being passive with the gospel our only hope to eradicate figures like that because it's the only hope for change on the inside. If you're one of those statistics, you're not a statistic. Our dream and prayer, this would be a place so safe 
that the worst of you could be known and you wouldn't be loved less but more in the telling of it. There is healing in Jesus and our prayer is that this is a place where the healing begins. David never outlived the earthly consequences of 2 Samuel 11, of his abuse, his murder, but he did repent of it. And God's grace is greater than his sin, as we're gonna see, and greater than the sin that was put on Bathsheba. If you're on the receiving end of sin, we're gonna end this message where you're gonna see God's grace is greater than the sin put on her and put on you. So lean in, my friends. This is the gospel at its best. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you. Again, just want to pause. Pray for your spirit, for grace, for truth, for healing. For those of us who hold secrets and shame, even as we come to the communion table at the end of our gathering, that would be a place where the shame is begin to be removed. Love you, we thank you. and pray this in Christ's name, amen. Start in page two. Page one's for your own personal study. As we think about how he got here, you're gonna see if you look closely and you can even use that as a guide, page one. David, uh, since we last saw him especially, his public life and his personal life began to drift apart. Who he was publicly was completely different from who he was in private. That is always a recipe for disaster, as we'll see. This is a call to integrity, uh, an integrity none of us live up to, not even me. Now, I don't say it as if I'm any better than you, but I just want, I want you to know I'm human like you. All of us lack integrity. That's why we come and worship Jesus week in and week out. Uh, but I want to talk about two warning signs and then one hope-producing truth from this passage. Uh, we're going to highlight verse chapter 11. I'm going to invite you to read it on your own at another time. And we're going to walk through chapter 12, which was read for us. Here's the first thing. And I have a deep conviction that in my own life and in your life, we don't respect the power of sin enough. We worship the power of God. We need to be respectful for the power of sin. Let's look at that. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. David, however, circle this, stayed behind. This is the first time in the reading of David we see passivity. Up to this point, he's been active. He took on Goliath. He, uh, he went after King Saul, cut off his robe. He's fleeing. But here, for some reason, David is passive. Instead of leading his armies, he's at home watching Netflix, chilling one night on the roof of his palace. And he sees Bathsheba, and I don't have time to build this out, doing the God-honoring thing. She's honoring the law by bathing uh, after her menstruation cycle was done. On the rooftop where, where rain would gather water in a bath, Bathsheba is bathing, honoring God. And David is on his rooftop in a place where he shouldn't be. And I just want to say to us, uh, a wise man taught me an axiom decades ago I've never forgotten. 99% of righteousness is being in the right place. David was not in the right place. He should have been out to war. And here's my concern. 
This, I believe, friends, is the modern-day rooftop. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be careful to stay in the right place. So David sees Bathsheba, sends someone to find out who she is. Look at verse 3 in your message notes. Uh, It's not going to be on the screen, but look how they describe her. I think this is a warning sign for David. They put Bathsheba in the context of two men. You don't know their background, but if you look at Scripture and just Google their names or do a Bible search on their names, they both are David's mighty men. These were David's Navy SEALs. He had 37 men surrounding him while he was a fugitive from King Saul. One of them was named Eliam, that was Bathsheba's father. One of them was Uriah, that would be Bathsheba's husband, who's out fighting for David, even as he's on the roof looking at Bathsheba. These were men who literally gave their lives or would for David. I think that the author in saying this is trying to warn David, coming to him saying, don't do this, David. These are men who put their life on the line for you. But sin is deceptive and it's lurked and it's completely flooded any sense of logic. And he takes her, sleeps with her. And a few months later, the phone rings. It's Bathsheba saying, I'm pregnant. And you know the story, maybe you don't, but he takes her husband off the battle lines. Her husband has way more integrity than David and uh, honors the war, doesn't sleep with his wife. And David says, that's it. I'll just add murder to my resume of abuse and has him killed. All is good. Cover up complete or isn't. See, I want you to know that this uh, a moment of public sin even from the group of people I opened with, it never happens in an isolated incident. People don't wake up and go, oh, this would be a great day for a murder. They just don't do that. Instead, there's always a series of internal compromises that no one sees over time. I'll give you a living metaphor from my homepage this week. Look at this picture uh, on the screen. That's the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Monday morning, a week ago, the commute, and it's called a sinkhole. You've heard of those. Everything's great on the surface, but beneath the surface, there's water eroding the supporting structures. And over time, the weight on top of the surface gives way because what's below the surface can't support what's on top of the surface. My friends, that is a great picture of 2 Samuel chapter 11. That is a great picture of many of our, all of our lives, because we're all sinners, we all fall short. And the, the, the irony of this text is to stand outside of it, point fingers at men like David or men and women like I opened with and call them monsters and what have you as if that could never, never, ever happen to us. Maybe not externally, but what we're gonna see before we leave this, the sin is so powerful that that heinous act or acts exist within each one of us if internally we give way to it. See, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, it's in your notes. Look what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I know nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. He's not talking about actual physical flesh. He's talking about your spiritual nature apart from God, the flesh. The longings to do what is right are within me. How many of you can testify to that? Right? Yeah, I believe that. I believe that in all of us. But look at this. Willpower is not enough to accomplish it. 
or what we say around here on page three, you can see the quote on the bottom of page three. When you respect sin, you understand sin will take you farther than you ever intended to go. It will leave you there longer than you ever wanted to stay. It will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. This, my friends, is the story of David in 2 Samuel 11. He traded minutes of ecstasy for a lifetime of shame and a legacy with an asterisk by his name for the rest of his life. So I want to ask a question for all of us. All of us, myself included. Are you killing sin internally or is sin killing you internally? This is one of those times I wish we could pause and stop the service and go one-on-one and have a grace-filled, shame-removed, truth-valuing conversation. This is a time I'm praying the Holy Spirit brings conviction over all of us so that we'd be responsive to that kind of question. I don't say that to shame us. I'm asking that question for life, as we'll see in a minute. What do you do with the evil inside that lurks inside every single one of us? What did Jesus do? (laughs) Thank you, angel. Look at the last verse of uh, chapter 11, and then we'll get off this chapter because this is way too convicting, right? Look at verse 27. But David had done what the thing David had done displeased who? Oh, yeah, the Lord. This is the first time the Lord's mentioned in chapter 11. Up to this point, it's all David thinking, I can get away with this. I can cover this up. This is the man after God's own heart. But this is what sin does. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, a good verse to memorize, talks about how sin is deceitful at its core. It doesn't go logic. It goes deceit. It bypasses any sense of logic. And we've seen it all the time, even in the church world. Men and women forfeiting a moment of ecstasy for a lifetime of legacy. Ooh, that's, that's kind of good. Forfeiting a moment of ecstasy for a lifetime of legacy. I just said that's good. You're right. It is good. Yeah, no, I love that. No, I thought you'd say it, so I said it for you, but then you said it. I love it. Okay, so my question, do you respect the power of sin? I don't mean to make light of it. Do you respect the power of sin? See, this is why I'm always reticent to point a finger at our culture. Because as another mentor told me, when you're pointing the finger at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. We must be humble in this. And we are people of forgiveness. So hold on to that. We'll get there. Let's look at the pain of sin's consequences. 2 Samuel 12. Let's jump into the next chapter. So it ended with the Lord. And that's a segue to bring us into, and there's no chapter headings when the story was written, into uh, how does David get out of this hole? David's basically broken five of the Ten Commandments. Congratulations, David. His heart is so hard by this point. He thinks the cover-up's complete. He literally got away with murder. But did he? Let's pick it up in verse 1. So, chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David the story. And you hear the word prophet and you think, oh, here it comes. Guns are going to sling. Woe to you, David. It's all going to come out right now. David's going to get his when you hear the word prophet. That's what the author wants you to hear. 
but we're going to see something different. Uh, and this will only make sense when you understand in those days uh, there wasn't a division of power at the executive level. The monarchy was also the judiciary. Uh, and so all the cases were brought to the king to figure out uh, justice. So Nathan is thinking how his heart is God's heart. His heart is a heart of redemption, not condemnation. Uh, Romans 8.1. Does anyone know it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Live by that, my friends. Even in the Old Testament, that was the case. Nathan comes on a conviction mission, not a condemning mission, okay? Uh, So he goes, I know, I'll just bring up a fictitious case before the king, and then we'll see where that goes. Verse 5, he tells a story, and you read it, and even in the original language, it pulls you into, like, wanting to be with this family, this ewe lamb, and, and this man stole it and all that. Look what happens in verse 5. David is furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vows, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. He's so angry, he gets the order wrong. Kill him and then make him pay back the lambs, right? You know, our big idea, you saw it on page one, our biggest obstacle to true righteousness is our own self-righteousness. And we see that here. Psychologists actually have a word for this. It's called reaction formation. Reaction formation. Have you heard of this? It's the very thing you're steeped in is the very thing you lash out against. I didn't give you pastors' names because many of you wouldn't know them, but so often pastors railing against sin in our culture only to be exposed if they're caught up in that very sin. That's called reaction formation psychologically. We're all susceptible, and that's exactly what David's doing here. So you hear these names of these people that I opened with who did heinous things. I'm not letting them off the hook. But you go, gosh, what monsters. We thought they were good people. No, they weren't born monsters. But they were born sinners like we all are. And they incrementally, internally gave in to rationalize their behavior because they were people of power or otherwise. I want you to know that sin dehumanizes. That's why we're so against sin and and why we love the cross and Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Sin dehumanizes. It it makes us less than we were created to be. You read your homepage and every act of crime and every act uh, that you read on there, we would call that sin. It, It just erodes humanity. Jesus walked the earth as the most human human who ever lived without sin so that we could have a model and a hope within us. So Nathan says to David in verse 7, you're the man. That wasn't in a good way. I have people here I meet with on Tuesday mornings, and they come in like, geez, you're the man. That's not what Nathan's saying. And with that phrase, uh, tell him I can't answer that right now. I'll be right with you. With that phrase, you're the man, as scripture-saturated people, we're invited not to read the Bible, but at this point to let the Bible read us. Because the tables get turned, I want to ask you this question humbly and say this humbly. I say it to me. You are this man. My sisters, you are this woman. And if you think again, oh, Gary, why, why are you judging me? Why are you saying these? I would never do that. I would invite a reading of Matthew chapter 5 and how Jesus describes sin in the Sermon on the Mount. 
not through action, but through internal conviction. Tim Keller, uh, pastor, theologian, says this. This story teaches us that the seeds of the most terrible atrocity live in every human heart, in the best people, even people converted by God. So Nathan the prophet is, again, reflecting God's heart for conviction, not condemnation, for repentance, not punitive damage. There will be consequences for David and the church. We should not relieve people of their consequences on earth. We are for justice, but we're for repentance too. John 3, 17, 3, 16 gets a lot of press. It will today in stadiums all across America. But do you know what John 3, 17 says? Look at this. God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I, you know, I would like to just put, since we are the body of Christ, PCC in there. God didn't send PCC on the peninsula to condemn it, but to save it. <laughs> that should be a rebuke to us. We need to repent too of our self-righteous, legalistic religion, thinking we're better than others. We have received a gift, the gospel, eternal life. And then God didn't take us right up to heaven. He left us here not to condemn the world, the peninsula, but to save it with him. Can I get an amen? That's why we exist. We'll talk more about that at our town hall meeting. I guess what I want to say here is this. God is gracious. Life is not. David will never recover in an earthly sense from this sin. But God will forgive him. So I want to ask, who's your Nathan? Who is it in your life that has access to you, to the relationships that matter to you? If you're a parent, if you're, we all are neighbors, friendships, if you're married, if you're dating, who has the courage to call you out in love with the hope for freedom? Who are you a Nathan to? That's why we have four G's or G4 that banners gather, grow, give, go. That next level in a small group where you're known, where people can speak into your life. Groups for transformation, not just transferring information. So important. Lastly, the Bible's story contains one hope-producing truth, the possibility of redemption. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, NPR uh, ran this article on its website. Uh, it was called, Is Redemption Possible in the Aftermath of the Me Too Movement? Tremendous article. I really encourage you reading it. But uh, I'll just give you one quote from a woman named Tarana Burke. She's actually the one who started the Me Too movement. Look what she says. Leaving them in a heap on the side of the road is not the answer. Allowing them to act like nothing happened is not the answer. There's the tension we all live in, right? Those two extremes. There should be an expectation of real rehabilitation. That they've seen the light and they want to make specific, I'm sorry, dramatic shifts in their behavior. The Bible affirms this, my friends, and this is where David goes. He doesn't defend, deny, or downplay his behavior. When he's exposed in chapter 12, verse 13, he owns it. He confesses his sin. He repents. David uh, moves into his own uh, room and writes in his journal, Psalm 51. I would encourage you to read the whole psalm tonight before you go to bed. Everyone, this is your homework assignment. 
Who will raise their hand and testify? It is great to be at PCC this morning, and I will read Psalm 51 before I go to bed. Come on. Come on. So half of you won't? Come on. I'm, 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 this is for life. Pastor says. Come on. We don't have an hour here. I, I've got to have you have homework. So he writes this. Look at I'll just give you three verses. Look what he says. Verse 1, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Because, because of what? What's he pleading as the basis for mercy? Because I promise to never do it again. No, confession is not bartering with God. It's not making empty promises. It's not willpower, promising willpower. It's agreeing with God and trusting in God power. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Leave that up there. Look at this. Uh, I've just took a score. The score here is God three, David one. God's mentioned three times. David's mentioned himself one. He's at the end of himself. Uh, the people in recovery, in the recovery movement, understand this better than any of us. He doesn't have what it takes, so that's why we pray. I love that quote that, that Peter brought to all of us. He's coming to God saying, if you don't do something, if you don't give me something, I'm hosed. Cleanse me. He's focusing on God's character, and that's what confession does. It's not, it's not empty promises. The word means to agree with. You're agreeing with God that he forgives. Jump down to verse 10. Look what he says. Create in me a clean heart, O God. This is that internal mechanism within each one of us at the core. He's saying, God, your creator, I need you to create something internally in me. I have a wicked heart. The sinkhole is complete. Would you do something new in me and give me a new heart? Don't you want that? Don't you want to be renewed? Don't you want a new operating system within that, that informs how you think and informs how you see and the value system you place on every human being and informs your actions? That's what he's saying. See, I want a new start, but I can't do it. And your creator, renew a steadfast spirit in me. Verse 17, God, the sacrifice, a lot of us do that, right? Oh, God, I blew it. I, I'm, I'm going to church. I blew it. I'm reading my Bible for twice the amount today, right? He's going, yeah, I'd sacrifice, but the only thing you want is a broken spirit. In other words, you want humility, not pride. This is his way of saying I've hit rock bottom. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God. See, God's mercy is not only our great hope, God's mercy is our only hope for redemption. You'll never get better by willpower. That's what makes us different than the self-help, which, you know, I, I'm grateful for books and things that, that, that encourage us and give us tools. There's nothing like the internal change that the Spirit of God can bring in our lives as a gift not only for David, but if you are part of the men and women who've been on the receiving end of sin, I want you to know that this redemption is available for you too. You don't have to be defined by the heinous sin that was brought on you. In Matthew, and this is our last verse, chapter 1, verse 6, 
what we see here in the genealogy of Jesus, which was put in Matthew because he wrote to a Jewish audience. And if you're going to prove Jesus is Messiah, you have to prove the messianic line. But Matthew breaks from traditional genealogies five times by including women over a 1,400-year period. He includes five women in the genealogy. And in verse 6, here's what we read. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Who's that, my friends? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. In other words, in heaven's eyes, she's not defined by the woman who was honoring God through ritual bathing, who was the victim of sexual abuse. You ready for this? In heaven's eyes, she's a king maker. Through her came Solomon. David had a lot more sons than Solomon from other wives, and that's a whole other sermon. God, I won't even go there. But God chooses Bathsheba's child to go into the lineage. And not only is she a kingmaker with Solomon, she is a kingmaker because through her came the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. She is the 29th great-grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, how awesome is the Lord, huh? That sounds like a golf clap. How awesome. Come on, are you awake? How awesome is the Lord? She's not a victim. God uses her to be a kingmaker. She'll be informed by what was done to her, but she won't be defined by what was done to her. And my friends, that is what the gospel does. It completely redefines you. And so as we close, I wonder, what guilt, what shame have you brought into this room? I want to invite you to leave it here today. Leave it here today. And you do that through confession, agreeing. Confession, same word, agreeing with God. God, it was wrong, but you can give me a new start. In a minute, Peter's going to come up with a responsive reading. It's actually on page three of your notes. I, uh, I didn't do this. Rob Hall, you know, there's eight churches doing this uh, same message series. New North Church, amazing church in, uh, in San Bruno. Rob Hall put this responsive reading, Pastor Rob, in this uh, page three. And it's, it's Psalm 51 condensed. And I gave it to you so you can make that part of your daily routine with the Lord. Let David's words be your words. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your definition of us. Thank you that all of us are Nathan. But your grace is bigger and greater than our most heinous and recurring sin. Even the sin we committed last night. God, give us wisdom to run from rooftops. Give us healing if we've been on the receiving end of heinous sin. But most of all, give us freedom in you. As this responsive reading gets read, I want to invite you, if you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ, as you read this responsive reading, let that be your declaration. Today, Lord, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my stain. I'm giving you my resume of sin. And I'm receiving from you the life of Jesus. From now on, I'm yours. We need it, Lord. Help us to be people of hope. Thank you that you brought us to this place at this time, not to condemn 
the peninsula, but to be agents of change and salvation for the peninsula. What an honor. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.